on a cannery road Good luck down in Austin If it was easy, everybody would do it It's all just a part of the show There, welcome in And thank you for telling a friend that you hang out On the other side of Texas Your Friday drive home A little precipitation this week across the region, at least the surrounding Lubbock area, and hopefully more to come as we get up and go along here. On your drive home, we're broadcasting from the studios that made Buddy Holly famous, where we rave on in that Buddy Holly tradition and rave on politically in a lot of ways. Uh, going our own way. Well, it, 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 saying what needs to be said. There. For those of you wondering how many times we're going to play Rave On this week, it's the end of the week, so not many more times, but there's some Waylon Jennings who also worked in the studios coming up uh, for you next week. But we do Rave On politically. Amongst all the craziness, we try here to bring you a balanced perspective. It might lean a little right on the social side. It might uh, not make up for you suburbitarians. Advertisement. Uh, for your suburbitarians liking on the economic side but for you suburbitarians who are within the listening range not those of you listening on the podcast uh, but within the listening range you need to go and check your economics and redo your economics 101 based upon your place and where you live I'm Jay West Texas Leeson taking you home here on a Friday trying to on Fridays we kind of just handle this like it's a uh, it's a bag of whatever you're going to get and you're you can throw into the bag there at 806-745-5800 806-745-5800 you can text in your thoughts as we drive along here Brandon Darby expected in studio and he's on Brandon Darby time so he might be here in the next few minutes or so I would expect uh, to see him so allow me to think out loud for just a moment on after a very long week and by the way I don't need any more holidays midweek it just complicates everything I want them at the beginning of the week or the end of the week and I'm not being entitled here. I'm just asking that you don't need to wake up every day and wonder if it's Thursday or Friday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. It gets really confusing. I, um, I'm getting my mind around something. And for those of you who listen to the show regularly, I'm getting my mind around where we are right now. As, as a region, as a state... And as a country and I'm more and more concerned about the divide in the country and not because people are disagreeing look Burr and Hamilton went out and shot one another for the sake of it's not the disagreement that I find to be uh, troubling it's that people have drifted off into both directions and by and large let me just be clear I don't think people on the far left or the far right enjoy this program which is something I take pride in 
but that's where we see the country and where you know my daughter was in yesterday we talked about who's voting she said she didn't vote and i said well welcome to 92 percent of the country that also well 92 percent of texas that doesn't vote uh, at least she has a good excuse many of us do not and I wonder about how that begins to feed in in you know much less running a political show based upon a eight to maybe ten percent turnout how what kind of audience are you after and where are we going as we go further left and further right and that's something that I've articulated a few times this week and whenever you hear me think out loud behind these microphones on this show, I'm formulating something in my mind and heart and trying to figure out how to write about it in a substantive way. And I feel like I'm on the cusp of that. But earlier this week, I teased that whenever I was in school, whenever I was at university at Texas Tech, I sound like my brother, who's a missionary, he always says at university, because that's the way that they say it across the globe. But whenever I was at Texas Tech, I wasn't, I didn't live on campus, and I did a year and a half at South Plains, South Plains College. Shout out to Larry Norris and that crew, who does a great job of educating kids who don't want to go into marriage with a millstone of college debt around their neck. And then I went to Tech, but I was never really plugged into the campus life at Texas Tech. And that's not to criticize Tech, that's just where I was. And so I began to do, I was working in ministry at that time, just out of high school. I was out in Slayton, and then I got called up to, to Tulsa, and... And I went to a church in Tulsa that had a lot of money and generous money, whatever kind of money, it had a lot of resources. And what they posed to me at that time, and this is 2003, so 15 years ago, we want you to prepare our students for the future ahead of them. And what I saw at that time was that we were probably going to be living in a post-truth world, a post-Western world, a post-modern world, if you will, where traditions that have existed over time were no longer counted as valid. And how do you prepare students who were raised in homes where traditions and customary cultural virtues did matter how do you prepare them for that and so what I began to do there was look at how do you where is this best contextualized and so we began and hold forth your judgment just hold on just a second we began to take students to Amsterdam in groups of you know, 15, 30 students, sometimes in two cycles. And we go through Amsterdam. And I think I'm going back to Tuesday here. But I promised I'd follow up on it. And I am here. 
in a postmodern environment, there is not a universe. There are multiverses, many ways to see the world, and that's fine. That's what democratic civilizations have always been made of for so long as there have been democratic civilizations, but the right to disagree. But within post-truth, within postmodern cultures, there is the destruction of institutions that go along with that, uh, hierarchies as they were, and traditional truths that go along with it. And so in Amsterdam, even 15 years ago, students were able to see that there were people who are willing to argue, even though there's an XX chromosome versus an XY chromosome, so let's go on science for just a moment, that there were people who were debunking science and modern institutions of science to say, no, I was, I was born a way that I reject, and now I'm going to be another way. Now, how you dispose of that in your personal life is one thing. How you do it within society is quite another. And so, like, recently in Canada, there was a bill put up that mandated speech on pronouns of how you identify and required that you treat people with the pronoun that they preferred. And I think, and I don't want to go like hardliner on this, but I really believe that should not be subjected because somebody has a subjective view doesn't mean that I have to uh, take all my objectivity and push it by the roadside and say, no, I'll go along with your subjective view. That's never the way that Democrat, democratic countries, civilizations, and republics, as they're formed politically, uh, operate that the you know on the other side that the earth is flat well if you think the earth is flat then in the words of mike leach i've got a parking garage on fourth and university to sell you like there no it's not and i will not pander the flat earther any more than i will the she man he man who requires that i speak to them in a certain way now i can speak respectfully but there come public points of venues like my children's elementary classes where I'm going to take exception to that in public schools and say no because they feel it's not a first of all not a protected class number one and number two that's not scientifically provable now some of you will turn that into a global warming argument on me and that's fine and we can talk about what you may deem to be inconsistencies but the point being that you cannot run a society based on subjectivity and you know the universe as a multiverse and i remember walking and talking with kids in amsterdam of all sorts of nationalities we came across several there were some swedish kids but it was some moroccan kids that we came across we we're standing outside of a church and i asked some moroccan kids what is that building because i wanted to see not because by and large they were islamic but it was i wanted to know from their fresh young perspectives and based upon what they've been told what is that building and what they said to me was that building that church 
in Dutch they would speak and say that's a museum. Now that's been too many years ago for me to recall museum in Dutch, but that's how they referred to it. And whenever whenever churches profound institutions within the West are referred to as museums, then you know that you're in a place where XX and XY chromosomes are the same thing, where the Earth is maybe considered to be flat. How many ever years after Copernicus, the Earth is still flat, and there's not a universe, there's a multiverse. And I think that that begins to play into our politics today. So to go from youth ministry 15 years ago to today, people have their own perspectives, and it's like an old dirt road where it's not been graded in who knows how long. There are ruts, and that builds. You cannot get out of the Well, guess what we do on this show? We get out of the ruts. We may go from rut to rut, and we may play on the cusp of the ruts, but I think it's a helpful dialogue to say, no, you know what? And I'll use a case in point. Like Republicans, by and large, are absolutely against the SNAP program. Well, how against the SNAP program are you if you live in a region where billions of dollars are at play with economic impact? And you know that those, those quote-unquote SNAP dollars are not only guaranteeing you the votes because of this current state of the Republican Party where you know we just want free market approach which has never worked never ever worked traditionally in agriculture in these United States of America never worked a free market argument has never mar- never worked because free market does not take into play the real adversities that farmers and producers face tariffs non-tariffs trade barriers up and down through all sorts of countries and then you have uh, communist states or you've got socialist states down in South America communists in Asia uh, going up against individual competitors who them themselves not only against all these tariffs and we can get into tariffs later on the program uh, with agriculture but who are also facing other fronts and may be facing weather and may be facing the Environmental Protection Agency and in all sorts of personal life things mixed in the mix and you want to make for me a free market approach to agriculture it's absolutely inconducive with that and then on top of that you've got foreign aid and people will be like well and there's plenty of foreign aid to be blasted but guess what there is a certain semblance of peace and tranquility that's given to a country that goes into sub-Saharan Africa, which is on the brink of Islamic terrorism, of Islamic hardline ideology, and making sure its people are fed, and aren't only fed by people who also want to feed them a hardline ideology. Now, all I have to say, we've gotten into the ruts, and agriculture is a great discussion to have on the ruts with the pol- current political uh polemical uh, furthest polls in agriculture and there's got to be something to be said about that and to say there has to be nuance this is a multifaceted issue it's not just cut down the middle 
And that's why, you know, I believe in agriculture and I talk about it on this program. And I've written about it extensively because because it is important to the region in which we're broadcasting here on the other side of Texas. But also because it's not a policy. It's not a set of issues that you can just put in an R or D box. And you have to have some nuance as you begin to think about it. Anyhow, I have spent some time this week and I feel like I'm, you know, that feeling whenever you're running in your sleep and you're like running through the swamp. That's how I feel like I've begun to talk about this issue, but it's maturing in my mind. It's gestating. And I think that we'll have something very substantive to say on the state of uh, local for sure, where you've got the, I think if I walked in the Lubbock Democratic Party offices or the Republican Party offices right now, uh, people would just kind of look at the floor and look at their boots and think, oh my goodness, how, how do we get out of this? And, and that, good, <coughs> I'm glad that they feel that way. And because neither one of them have the solutions that we need at the current time. And both of them, by and large, I would say 65, 70% of the time, feed into like look republicans you've got no answers on public education and you're going out to all these rural counties and demanding that you cannot vote for these godless quote-unquote godless democrats and this that and other because they're against public education no no and but you want them to vote against public education and you're wrong you're completely wrong there on the other side with the democrats at least locally like, what are the answers here? Like, Mike Collier, the lieutenant governor, uh, Democratic nominee, came into these studios and was talking about huge tax loopholes, I believe up to $500 million a year, that the state's not taking in because we're letting, quote-unquote, big business or commercial real estate get away with huge uh, loopholes. And so there is a, so why are we paying more in, in our residential uh, property taxes? Why? How? How is this happening? And so Collier comes to the mic, and that is by far the most reasonable argument I've heard for how we begin to fix these things. But guess what? I went and I did Brian Mudd's show today. Brian Mudd Talking Points came at 28. It's going to be on on Sunday morning, 1130, repeats at 1105. I'm really taking this monologue long to make this argument. that no, There's not a conversation about public education or things that approach, like sometimes there's the health care argument, but by and large, it's some identity politics. And then on top of that, you've got the opportunity to speak to public education. And what does the Lubbock Democratic Party do? Well, we want to talk about abolishing ICE. Okay, because there is no context in politics. As soon as you say that, people are going to hear you say, we don't want secure borders. We don't want a country because a country is defined by borders. And But that's what, you've, you're, what you're taking up right now. And I understand, and this is where, talking point to the Lubbock Democratic Party, this separating children from their parents thing, like we can make these arguments that if I get pulled over, and I've got an arrest warrant after me, and I've got two kids in the car, if mom's not home, they can't get a hold of anybody, then those kids are going into the state system. Like, I understand that. But let's be clear. 
that separation policy was buffoonery and Republicans aren't willing to own it. Look, I voted for Trump twice. I voted for Trump twice and most of those Republicans, those Lubbock County Republicans were beating that Ted Cruz drum at that time. Ted Cruz would have gotten stomped by Hillary Clinton. And they're still on, they're doubling, like, I voted for Trump by his own admission that we're going to change the policy. It was an asinine policy, period, in the story. Like, it was not politically viable. It is never a good story. I don't care where they're from, unless you're utilitarian and you don't believe in the dignity of people, you take that over policy, or take that take policy over people like it's never a good like all these stories are about to come out texas tribune new york times everywhere horror stories of having your child the very reason for which you left your native region country and came here and then in the end to have them taken away oh and by the way and this is the inefficacy that i want to speak to they're lost that was not a Democratic administration that lost them. It was a Republican administration that lost them. And there are hundreds and hundreds that are lost right now. And it's going to cost who knows how much tax money by the time lawsuits and relocation. Uh, and that's just assuming that we find all of them. Big moment and you don't hear from them because they're stuck in a rut and so presently is the local party stuck in a rut and all you guys that are offended by me saying it can stick it in your ear because it's a reality and there's a great middle of the country that doesn't buy in even though we're in this post-truth environment doesn't buy in to what's going down and you guys continue to say you know use your old i mean just tired vapid old arguments and everybody stopped listening and they started listening to things like this and I'm glad. And we'll be a better country and a better region for it. Whew! That's what I've got for you. Uh, Brandon Darby going to be checking in. A little bit held up. Going to be checking in by phone here within the next few minutes. Go ahead and get some buttons pushed uh, for him. So a couple of news issues to get into uh, is we get along here. and One is this try to ask darby about this well first let's go to mexico implements retaliatory tariffs on u.s agricultural products now i'm gonna have to go back through the audio when congressman jody errington was on but i don't know to what extent i think that we had only talked about pork and we had talked about um sorghum but the president giving giving him assurances and again i'll find the sound clip and we'll play it but the president giving him assurances that these these folks would be taken care of yeah i just wonder to what extent are we going to be taken care of not that they aren't merited or it's not warranted because this was not their tariff war but it sounds like a pretty expensive endeavor. Uh, this is Mexico moved forward yesterday with its second round of retaliatory tariffs on U.S. goods, according to a Politico report. 
Most of the latest tariffs will be applied to U.S. agricultural products, including apples, cranberries, cheeses, potatoes, pork, and whiskey. Sorry, bourbon. Products will be hit with a tariff of between 15 to 25 percent. Those penalties will complete the roughly $3 billion worth of retaliatory tariffs Mexico implemented in response to steel and aluminum duties the Trump administration announced earlier this year. While the Trump administration initially exempted Mexico, Canada, and the European Union from steel and aluminum tariffs, it moved forward implementing them, citing national security concerns. Mexico joins Canada, the European Union, and China among the nations that have prepared retaliatory measures in response to President Trump's trade policies. And despite the efforts by, hold on, despite international and domestic pushback on the tariffs, Trump has refused to back down prompting growing concerns over a looming global trade war. In addition to the tariff dispute, Trump is attempting to renegotiate the North American Free Trade Agreement with Mexico and Canada. Trump said in an interview, we're going to talk to Brandon Darby about the new president of Mexico and the leadership therein. Uh, Trump said in an interview that aired Sunday on Fox News that he'd wait to negotiate NAFTA until, quote, after the election, though it's unclear if he was referring to the U.S. midterm elections in November or the Mexican elections that took place on Sunday. Quote, I want to wait until after the election. You're going to have an election. It's going to be very interesting. The president has also heightened tensions with Mexico with repeat. <laughs> I'm going to save my comments. With repeated claims that the country will pay for his border wall and radically charge rhetoric when discussing immigration. So that brought about uh, the president-elect, Andre Obrador, who secured a victory on Sunday. Obrador, a left-wing populist, has vowed to take a tougher stance against the U.S. president. So coming down now, you've got $3 billion worth of retaliatory tariffs that Mexico plans to implement. I listen to ag producers talk about emerging markets in Central America and Mexico. And I think I've been on record before as saying that early... In the Republican primary, it became clear that Trump made China much more nervous than Cruz because Cruz was going to go down that same old road of free trade at the cost of country, uh, trade, trade, I should say trade deficits at the cost of country. And what I believe I said at the time was that you're going to see a lot of Trump bumper stickers on John Deere 4440s and, and lots of tractors across the country. And that that proved to be accurate on election night as you saw a swing up through West Virginia and Ohio and then back over into the upper Midwest. It's pretty clear that agriculture producers and 
people in rural America were responsible for Trump being elected. But the question becomes now, at what cost? At what cost are these things going to come? And, you know, I think that I was having a conversation with somebody today who said, I think it just drives everybody crazy that they can't mark Trump up as a liberal or conservative. And I think outside of his judicial picks, that is very much a question of does he fit into the worn out the worn out tra- tracks on the political road of liberal or conservative and I think it's not clear where he stands on those things uh, many would point and say well Betsy DeVos is for um, school vouchers that there's this element and that element but whenever you begin to add all those things up especially with Trump on trade it's typically Democratic Party that would launch something like this in protection of American workers. But here we stand, and I don't know what the administration is going to do to rectify this for American workers. If it doesn't rectify for American workers, and I think you can expect, fully expect, there not to be a second Trump administration. That's just my prediction. Reach outside of West Texas and the other side of Texas issues to go to what what's the old line that karma is undefeated. This via USA Today. A group of suspected rhino poachers have been killed and eaten by a pride of lions after sneaking into an African game reserve, officials said, park officials said. Staff at the Subaya game reserve found what appeared to be human remains alongside tools typically used by poachers to kill rhinos and remove their horns, according to a press release from Nick Fox, the park's owner. South Africa is home to one of the largest rhino populations, but extensive poaching and habitat habitat loss mean animals rarely survive outside game reserves and national parks. Did you hear that? Did you hear it, social justice warriors? My brother has been involved with a South African game reserve. And my brother is Christian as the day is long. He's a missionary, man. And this first, I had to ask him, you know, what's all the protests? Like you see, like the tech cheerleader or whoever it was that was killing game and people were all like, you don't have a heart and you have no idea what you're doing and this, that, and the other. And here, Michael, my brother, missionary mike as we like to refer to him says jay listen there is nothing that provides more conservation than game reserves and he took me through it and i think it's i appreciate and i applaud usa today for bringing this up a poaching and habitat loss mean that animals rarely survive outside of game reserves in national parks so here's the problem is it the quote-unquote white privilege that's going in and killing these animals? 
or other privilege that you don't care to mention that's going in and eradicating animals. And the fact of the matter is, is that it's not the white privilege that is the problem with animal survival. It's these that poach, and I'm sure plenty of them are white. I'm not making a racial argument. I'm saying that your rubric's not working. You need to refocus your glasses whenever it comes to this. Uh, more than 1,000 rhinos were poached in South Africa in 2017. Statistics from the South African American, or excuse me, the South African government show. Fox said that the last, the least three. Fo excuse me. Fox said at least three poachers entered the reserve late Sunday night or early Monday waking one of the park's anti-poaching dogs. The dog's handler heard a loud commotion coming from the lions and figured that's what set off the dog. It wasn't until the next day that one of the field guides discovered the remains near the pride of lions. Staff alerted the anti-poaching anti unit and called Fox to the scene. The team found a high-powered rifle gloves wire cutters and the remains of a backpack with food water and other supplies classic hallmarks i wonder what kind of rifle what kind of rifle do you take out to kill like under i know what kind of rifle we take out to uh, kill feral hogs but i don't know what you would take out to kill a uh, rhino that um i'm gonna have to google that over the break anti-poaching authorities and police were immediately alerted fox said the lions were set to be tranquilized the following morning so authorities could search the area for clues it's still unclear how many poachers were killed by the lions the press release stated just tranquilized so not killed they're just going to be put down so that we can walk around and not be killed as well have you guys ever let me just for a second have you ever been to the hill country and seen these reserves it's amazing like they have hyenas and they've got it's like the lion king out in the hill country it's really incredible especially like around kerrville you can have any kind of animal and I don't know if there's another context in North America that is more uh, seemingly native to Africa than Kerrville. It's, it's remarkable. I don't know if you've ever been there. I've never been on a hunting trip there. Maybe one day I will. But it's, uh, oh, excuse me, a little Tom T. Hall, a little too early for you. But it's really incredible if you've not been uh, you ought to go check it out. I've not shot guns down there. I've only looked and beheld things that I only thought I'd see in cartoons or in National Geographic. But um, maybe we can get some Hill Country Game Reserves to sponsor the program and uh, shoot some Facebook Live videos from down there. See that? That's the mind of a capitalist working. Some uh, regional news. Before we, got, we went from like postmodern truth to... Uh, to the sub-saharan africa poaching situation the counterintuitive poaching it's not the people you think who are doing the poaching 
to uh, this, which was published earlier this week. Just getting to it. You know, I've talked with... It's funny whenever you're in a role like mine, where you're writing columns, you're trying to get to statewide issues and address them from an other side of Texas point of view. But you you will hear people, by and large, who will say, I'll give you background, but I'm not going to go on record. And I heard from a couple of folks last year who were, let me just say, in leadership within their respective independent school districts, who said that after oil's decline and the state's abdication of rural regions, particularly in public school finance, that their school districts would have closed down. They would have shut the doors on their school districts had it not been for wind. Now, let's sing the accolades of Rick Perry and the renewable, the competitive renewable energy zone and what he set up with wind energy up here as you get into the cap rock and into the panhandle. I have something to say about pipelines in just a moment as it relates to the A&M obstruction to Texas Tech's vet school. But for now, you may not like, and, and it's fair to not like, the wind zones and the turbines that come with them throughout west texas off the cap rock into the basin and then up into the panhandle but the fact of the matter is that given where we are politically and where we're putting our fiduciary um, priorities that wind energy has gone a long ways to help this part of the state this story from jeff ferris amarillo globe news Hale County Wind Project is finalized. XL Energy announced Tuesday its formal purchase of the Hale Wind Project from Next Era Energy Resources. Construction on the 478 megawatt wind farm in Hale County will begin later this month. According to XL officials, the cost of the project will be about $735 million. Now, that makes me get away from the mic and cough, because as a child of Hell County, I don't recall when that kind of money has been dropped there. $735 million. The deal was finalized about two weeks ago. Quote, Our community partners and landowners have worked very hard to make this happen, and we're honored to play a role in building a wind farm that will bring significant economic economic benefits to this area for years to come said david hudson president of xl energy texas in a prepared statement uh construction activities will start during the next few weeks and the first delivery of vesta's turbines is expected in october the hell wind project is expected to be in commercial operation next june xl stated NextEra Energy Resources developed the project through the partnership with Hale County landowners. 
always read that and I have a little bit of pessimism about what kind of partnership that was that's just me speaking fair and down the middle of the road but they are obviously pleased with what they've seen the um, I've got some text to get into uh, Excel Energy has gained the necessary approvals from the regulators in both Texas and New Mexico to move forward with the plan also included in the plan is the construction of a 522 megawatt wind facility near Portales, New Mexico. Excel Energy also plans to contract for 230 megawatts of wind energy from NextEra-owned facilities under development in Crosby and Cochrane counties. The acquisitions are part of Excel's Our Energy Future initiative to strengthen and modernize electricity generating and delivery systems in Texas and New Mexico, the company states. So, there, it never count West Texans out. There's always a way back, and technology and good governing led to the potential. Yes, there will be birds killed. Birds will die. And there may be a shift in the wind from 25 miles per hour to uh, 40 that are mitigated down to 28 but I don't think that's going to erode at the cap rock to the extent that many would make it out I'm not all in on wind but I'm a big fan of wind and I'm willing at this point given the political factions that are lined up as any wind I'm willing to give wind the benefit of the doubt and they're given the benefit of the doubt here in this segment I'm told by blue collar bill that the Wertherby 500 Nitro Express or the 458 Winchester Magnum are good for big game but I don't shoot that which I don't eat unless it's killing me kind of an Indian thing and some Indian blood in blue collar bill and I would presume much more than Elizabeth Warren they're like firing a shoulder cannon so that update uh, gonna have to go look for a Weatherby 500 Nitro Express does that come with a silencer maybe a laser hmm but you know back to the wind thing that's been a growing edge and I applaud state leaders from this part of the state that have not capitulated or laid down <coughs> to big think tanks like Texas Public Policy Foundation which has a hit out on wind right now and is blowing its trumpet throughout the state and you know they can stick it in their ear uh, but a stump this has been good for a lot of the region I've heard from by and large the farmers I hear from who have leased out their land for these things have been pleased by it and you know in years outside of this year well, in this year with a caveat, where cotton is, you know, you got a 50-50 shot of making a crop throughout the region, given the drought and the sporadic weather that we've had, that you've got a stable income because you've got some wind turbines coming in. Uh, I don't find much to disagree with there. Whenever I'm driving home from Caprock Canyon, from Floydata down to Lubbock, I think 
wow, that's that's something that we could not imagine some time ago. And, and now we got it, and people are profiting off of it, and in a commercial sense, profiting off of it. I understand that there's state money that goes towards it, but you can't, I mean, as those numbers begin to creep up, that 10 to 15% of that energy is being put into ERCOT, I think whenever you're talking about returns on investment, that's a wise investment at this point. You may disagree, uh, but for me, that's where I stand. Hey, uh, we're going to cut out. I want to uh, thank you for being part of the program. Sorry again, Brandon Darby's had some family issues that have cropped up, popped up, and uh, he is being a, a good, solid dude and taking care of those things. Next week on the program, you got Scott Braddock coming up on Monday and then on uh, Tuesday, a special interview for you. Get in some Ross Ramsey. Oh, I wanted to talk about pipelines and I'm going to do that for just a moment now. You've heard me talk about this and I appreciate the affirmations. I've gotten email, Jay at the other side of Texas. You can't hardly bring anything up the cap rock. Certainly not water. You can't bring water up 3,000 feet unless somebody invents a pump like would have been used in Armageddon to blow up asteroids, like the equivalent of blowing up asteroids. And what Texas has proven over time is that it also cannot provide professionals required for civilization, Texas or otherwise, through pipelines and you know i've talked with you before about how the the texas tech medical school was fought by ut back in the 60s and i will be on brian mudd's program on kmac 11:30 on sunday morning 11:05 to give some detail into what's going on with the vet school based upon things that have been written uh, my piece and then uh, John Sharp, presumably a rebuttal there in the Dallas Morning News. Pipelines have never worked. And if A&M wants to pursue, like A&M has two problems here. So far as my reading of Sharp's piece. One, pretension has become Aggie tradition with the way that Sharp laid out his arguments, took jabs at me. And not that I'm bothered by it, it's fine. Uh, but I think what was more problematic than him taking jabs at me was him ending, concluding the piece by saying, well, golly, he didn't say golly, but if Texas Tech and A&M have a rivalry, somebody forgot to, to tell us. And look, there are 25, 30 orange ties and maybe orange ties and scarves in the Texas House. And then I think a higher percentage in the Senate I don't think that the Longhorns, I don't think 40 acres is going to be real amendable to the Aggies. And that's going to be something that the Aggies find. And I think that the Aggies are best whenever they are blue collar and it's not just about protecting their own, but casting a wide net. And they're not doing that here. And I think that it's a political argument that's going to fail and tech is going to maximize on into the next legislature but you know pipelines now you can run transmission lines for wind up the cap rock and in the panhandle down the basin but you can't run pipelines and that's just a political reality in texas and you know 
just to counter back to the chancellor, if somebody told you that um, pipelines worked, then um, they told you the wrong thing. We're going to get out of here now for a Friday. Going to get home. Got to get home. Above average dinner. Great family waiting on me. I hope the same is true for you. Uh, we'll catch you again right here where Buddy Holly became famous on Monday. Get into another great week. Thanks for tuning in. Pass these podcasts along to friends. Just take their phone. Subscribe them. Yeah, always good stuff there. We'll see you Monday right here. Other side of Texas. Building owners and managers. Sometimes you have good engineering, good equipment, and a good installing contractor, but your heating, ventilation, air conditioning system just doesn't work well. If this is your situation, call ND White Engineering. Using state-of-the-art methods and instrumentation, ND White Engineering can perform a survey of your building, pinpoint exactly what's going on, and provide detailed recommendations for correcting the problem. For more information, call 806-785-1370. Emily Jones for ABC Bank. Life on the road sometimes requires a pinch hitter. I depend on ABC Bank to equip me with all the technology I need in a simple, easy platform so I can bank and get back to life. Their straightforward technology was developed with me in mind. With these tools, I'm able to keep my head in the game while ABC helps me plan my future. Bank on better with ABC Bank. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender.